Have you ever imagined fashion being as diverse as human culture? Have you ever dreamed of a respectful, ethical, and socially just fashion industry? Have you ever envisioned sustainability being at the core of the entire fashion system? This is your host, Laura Beltran-Rubio. I'm a fashion curator, researcher, and educator. My mission is to translate scholarly insights into actionable strategies that we can all take to reshape how we create, wear, and think about fashion. So find a comfortable seat, brew some tea, and open your notebook as you join me in the quest for redressing fashion. Welcome back to Redressing Fashion. Before I start publishing new episodes, I've created a collection of what I call loose thoughts that I've been writing and recording over the past couple years. These short episodes contain many of my reflections as both a fashion scholar and a fashion consultant in Colombia as I try to unpack the complex legacies of colonialism in present-day fashion. Please give them a listen, visit my blog for full transcripts, and some images that might be helpful, and let me know what you think. The first issues of Pensar la Moda aim to help us think and rethink the varied expressions of Latinx fashion in order to strengthen the fashion systems of Abya Yala. In the past issue, I started to redefine fashion through a very particular expression of dress in the colonial period, the faldellin. Today, I bring some initial reference that may help us identify some of the aesthetic expressions native to Latin America well beyond the tropical auto-exotization allowed by the global spread of the so-called Caribbean chic style. To fulfill my mission, I turn almost inevitably to history. Textiles and cloth in Abiyala are far from new. In the Andes, there are remnants of woven baskets that date more than 10,000 years. By 3000 BCE, hand-knit textiles were already being created in the region, and between 1800 and 800 BCE, looms replaced most finger-knitting techniques. Contrary to many other regions of the world, textiles preceded ceramics in the Andes, and they have been so important throughout history that scholars have identified the quote-unquote textile primacy as one of the most important aspects of culture in the region. This textile primacy is evidenced not only in the antiquity of textile arts, but also in how textile design has influenced other artistic media such as ceramics, jewelry, painting, and sculpture over time. Andean textiles also reflected some of the most important cosmological elements of the cultures that created them. Case in point are the complex patterns that showcase contour rivalry in Chavin textiles. These patterns are made of rotating, reflecting, and transposing motifs that create several figures at a time and offer multiple readings. The strict interdependence and interconnection of motifs in these patterns reflects the principle of reciprocity that allowed Andean cultures to survive in all the environmental spectrum covered by the region, from the dry deserts to the humid, warm tropical rainforests. This concept of reciprocity was termed Aini in Quechua. Beyond patterns, interdependence and reciprocity are evidenced in the choices of materials. People in the highlands wore camlet fibers of animals such as alpacas and llamas into textiles, while people in the lowlands used cotton more frequently. But there is also evidence of fiber exchanges, with some of the finest textiles using both camlet and cotton threads. 
In the highlands of what we now call Colombia, the Muisca created amazing painted cotton cloths made entirely of cotton, even though they didn't grow cotton crops. Paracas textiles also reveal an amazing precision in controlling the strict repetition of stylized patterns and solid blocks of color. These textiles could reach pretty large dimensions and carry such elaborate patterns that not infrequently, they required the labor of several artists at once. It is thus impossible to speak about a single hand in the creation of these textiles, and this, I believe, should be a starting point to push back against the idea of the artistic or design quote-unquote genius that we've so readily learned from European ways of thinking and knowing. Nazca textiles are even richer than their Paracas counterparts, with elaborate patterns created over plain woven cotton cloths. These patterns were colorful, often inspired in agricultural bounty and crops. With their close connection to local agriculture, it could be argued that these textiles are some sort of precedent to the patterns with tropical flowers and fruits so often created by contemporary Latinx fashion designers, of which Joan Ortiz has become the main exponent. I wrote an article about her in Cuaderno a few years ago and I link it to this newsletter in case you're interested. But the tropical aesthetic is far from being the only one to exist, past and present, in Abiyayala. In fact, this tropical chic seems to respond a bit more to the necessity of contemporary designers of auto-exoticizing their products in order to sell than to the history of the region. But I diverge. At this point, I would like to return to the rectilinear patterns created using the grid offered by weaving on a loom in Waray textiles. Although it was possible to achieve curves using this technique, it required care and expertise. The types of simple, strong geometric patterns continued until the time of the Inca, and more recently they have inspired some of the designs created by designer Anais Yucra in collaboration with the Quechua-speaking singer Renata Flores Rivera, especially for the video of her song Chanyankori Coca. A last example for now is the apparent penchant of Andean cultures to quote-unquote inefficiency and quote-unquote waste in the creation of textiles in favor of color intensity and the perfection of details. This also reveals the labor intensity required for the production of textiles, but it also confirms that in Abiyayala, textiles have never been just about a final look. On the contrary, the quality of materials, fine weaving techniques, and time required to achieve them confirm that luxury in textiles and fashion has existed for centuries, if not millennia. I don't know about you, but this makes me think that we should also reframe luxury from Abiyayala. In doing so, we might be able to overcome that only a few design houses have the right to luxury in the region. Kika Vargas is certainly not the only one, even though she became a finalist for the LVMH Prize for Young Designers in 2021. On a final note, I would like to invoke textile historian and curator Rebecca Stone Miller's word on Wari textiles. She claims that one of the Wari artistic rules was to break the rules. Rather than offering us a lesson in Latinx aesthetics, here we have a lesson on what to do as designers and participants of the fashion systems of Abiyayala to reconfigure Latinx fashion both within and outside our region. We should learn to break the rules and go against everything we've been told Latin American fashion is and should be, don't you think? With this I end for today, not without thanking you once more for reading, or rather listening. 
please don't hesitate to share your own reflections, ideas and questions in the comment section. Original podcast episodes will air starting on January 11th, 2024, so I hope I can entertain you with this collection of loose thoughts until then. And in case you want to subscribe to my email list to be notified when the first official episode goes live, I've left the link to join in the podcast notes for this episode. Thank you, thank you for tuning in. You know that I love a good conversation about fashion, so please don't hesitate to email me or message me on social media to continue discussing any of the ideas introduced in this episode. If you liked what you heard, please follow the podcast, leave a review, or share it with your favorite fashion friends. It does make a huge difference as we try collectively to build more spaces for thoughtful and nuanced conversations that can truly help us redress fashions.